Hey, welcome in Stinky Truth Podcast. Alongside uh, my partner, Mike Evans, I am Mark Schlereth. Always good to have you guys with us. Um, Michael, how are you, buddy? I'm doing great. Uh, this is a week that I love, but you probably hate. What do you call it? The Underwear Olympics? Oh, yeah, the, the, the Underwear combine? Olympics. Yeah, the Combine. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I don't, listen, man, I don't, I don't hate it. I don't know what its worth is. Like, I, like a test of athletic skills does not a football player make. Like, I always tell you that I don't really care about great athletes. I don't want professional athletes. I want professional football players. And so there are so many guys, if you look at the the best 40s ever run at the Combine, if you take, you know, the top 10 40s ever run at the Combine, there's probably two guys that are worth a crap. If you take the top 10 bench press tests at the Combine, there are probably two guys in there that were players, eight guys that weren't. So the whole thought process of, oh, man, we're going to, you know, really evaluate these athletes – I. Like, the film tells you if a dude can play or a dude cannot play. I guess all that the athleticism does is put you into a category. Like, are you an elite-level athlete or are you not an elite-level athlete? But I, I just think so much more is made than probably should be made of what a guy runs, how, you know, what his broad jump is. What Like, well, the broad jump shows explosiveness. Does it? Like, there are plenty of guys who weren't great benchers. There are plenty of guys who weren't great at the vertical jump that are unbelievable football players. But there is there is stuff that is taken seriously, and maybe maybe this falls under the category of, of being taken too seriously, a quarterback's size. Bryce Young, mm-hmm. the presumptive number one overall pick, measured in at five foot eleven and a half. Mm. And we've seen before – a Baker Mayfield measurement, uh, a Kyler Murray measurement, that if you get to that magical six feet, then instantly you could take him number one overall. Does does a half an inch, does this does this hurt? Should it hurt Bryce Young? Uh, I, you know, the thing, the slight build to me is a little bit more concerning. He's like 190 pounds, right? I mean, he's a, a wee little dude. Um, that's probably more concerning. And, and again, these are all... These are all, you know, it was like Joe Burrow saying, hey, pray for my little tiny hands, right? Like Joe Burrow is all. hands. Right. He's got these tiny little hands. Giant nuts. Yeah. Giant balls. Yeah. So I would go for the giant clackers over the tiny little hands. That's right. Give me giant balls any day, right? That should be the number one measurement. They just come in there and measure your clackers. This dude's got huge clackers. Number one overall. Let's go. Like that would be that would be the the big takeaway. I, I think the <laughs> I think the the height. I mean, the, not the size. The height of the quarterback is is one of those things that then you have to start thinking about how you operate in kind of that in that realm. Like offensively, how are we going to operate with a guy who is less than ideal height? Now, obviously. Drew Brees wasn't ideal quarterback height, but he's one of the best that's ever played. So you you never know. I, I guess I start then to think about how are we going to construct our football team. So if my guy doesn't have ideal height at the, he's not a six three six four guy, right? So now what do we have to do? Well, I would have to think that if I'm going to draft that guy, I better be stout, guard, center, guard. I better have guys that can 
play the upkick game. Play the take the, the take the passive out of pass protection. Attack the line of scrimmage so that when my guy hits his fifth step, he can hitch up and still see and still have room. Guys aren't sitting in his lap. Um, the other thing I think that, that you start to do is you start to say, okay, as an offense, like a lot of – if you look at an offense and you say, okay, there's this tight end to tight end box right here, okay? So we've got this – this is a tight end to tight end box, right? Right there. And that's – that completion percentage right there, if we go from tight end to ghost tight end or, you know, if we're in solo, so two tight end formations – Eight yards deep, right there. That box, that rectangle, that is about 80% completion. That's where you run your little spot routes. That's where you run a little arrow routes, right? You just boom, turn around, your little hooks, right? You just turn around and you catch the ball right there. You should complete about 80% of your passes there. Well, guess what? If you're a three-step drop team, you're a five-step no-hitch drop team, and, and you're trying to complete passes right there, and you've got a quarterback that's less than ideal height, it's harder to see those. It's harder to complete those passes. So now do we have to change our offense a little bit to say, hey, man, what I want to do is if this is guard, center, guard, and, oh, excuse me, guard, center, guard, and that tackle sets here, now there's a window between guard, center, guard, bam, tackle sets. Now that window opens up. We need to make our quick passing game in that window, kind of like from the, the, the hash to the numbers window because there's a there's a natural little window that opens up for shorter quarterbacks there. So you have to take, I think, to me, you have to take all these things into consideration, how your team is built and whether that guy is going to be effective in that system. Can you hear me that for a second real yeah. quick? Uh, you know, Listen, folks, if, if you'd like to uh, uh, sponsor the Stinking Good, uh, <laughs> we can actually have the money to uh, buy a real Telestrator. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> instead of doing it this way. <laughs> well, I was just like, I was like, I like, you know me, I like to do. You like to do. I like to do. You like so. to do. Well, the one thing about the combine that, that, real, that does get done, deals get done, or at least sure. the framework of deals sure. get done. And the Chicago Bears have made it clear mm -hmm. that the number one pick is open for business. Right. Two parts to this. One, they're making a commitment to Justin Fields. Smart? Yes. Yeah, you know, I mean, I had the opportunity last year to, to, to do a Chicago Bears game early in the year and a Chicago Bears game late in the year. And watching just that maturity, that growth, not only as a football player but as a human, like Justin Fields grew up last year and his ability to articulate what he's trying to do his ability to to understand what they're trying to do as an offense um i thought there was no question that when you talk to him you could see that growth you could see that he went from boom to boom right he jumped up from his overall understanding and acumen, uh, just the football acumen, the football understanding, what they were trying to do as an offense. And then you look at them overall from just a pure talent level, um, you would say that they were fairly marginal talent-wise. They earned that number one overall pick, but they were playing a lot of young guys, and you could see the potential of those young guys growing into really good football players. So this, to me, is kind of a no-brainer. Take that number one pick. 
move down, move off of that, parlay that into multiple picks so that you can build and construct your football team. Because what you see is an exceptional athlete, a gifted athlete in an offense that takes advantage of that athleticism. And what you saw was him with great growth as a player. Like I explained this, like to me, one of the first games I did was probably like week four, week five, Chicago. And I think on the broadcast, I explained it like this. Like, you watch enough of his film, it's almost like an amateur's golf game. There's three or four or five drives that you look at and like, what the hell was that? There's always those four or five throws that you're like, dude, really? But then there's that one you pipe down the middle at 305 yards, and you're like, oh, I got this figured out. Mm -hmm. Like, every now and again, that dude will pipe one. 315. It's just amazing. And and that's what you kept seeing here. So you're like if he could harness this on a more consec uh, and a more consistent level. Harness that kind of ability um cuz the ability's there, but harness that kind of uh, accuracy, that kind of timing, those things um as he grows in this offense. And and that's what I saw like early it was just a couple of throws a game that he would make that you go, "Wow, that's really good." But then there were like like 15 of them, they were like, Ugh, that, that doesn't look good. It was the later in the season, you know, week 12, week 13, it was exactly the opposite. There were 15, 16, you're like, wow, that's really good. And there was only a few, a handful, that were bad. And so you saw the growth. So I, I think it's a smart decision by Chicago to go in this direction and to fortify their team and to build their team around his exceptional skill set at this point. Yeah, and – it's it's definitely the potential that you're looking at right now, but you you realize there is at some point there is a ceiling he has to bust through, kind of like where Lamar Jackson is at this point. Mm. And you've talked about this, the Lamar smear campaign, the idea that hey maybe Lamar in the eyes of the Ravens has sort of peaked. He's right. a running quarterback that's somewhat limited as a as a passer, and that's why they don't want to make the big time financial commitment. It, where, where does the fact that he doesn't have an agent come into all this? Because you're starting to yeah. hear that part of the argument now that, hey, Lamar's not getting a deal done because he doesn't have an agent. And he's yeah. trying to do it by himself. I heard a, I heard a debate on the Four Letter Network the other day that was about, hey, if he had an agent, this deal would be done. Really? Because an agent's going to – the chasm between where the Baltimore Ravens are in guaranteed money and, and where Lamar Jackson is in guaranteed money. It's over $100 million. So an agent's going to bridge that chasm? Like all of a sudden it's going to be like, okay, now that you have an agent, you're right. We would like to pay you an extra $100 million What if you had Jerry Maguire? Yeah, okay. Huh? If he, show me the money! Huh? huh? Yeah, right? Huh? Yeah. Come huh? on now. Now you're thinking. Now, now, now I'm thinking, thinking that $100 million gets made right. up just like that. Just like that. Nothing flat. I, like, I don't think it really has anything to do with having an agent or not. This has to do with what Lamar Jackson believes his market value is, and why would he not believe it? The Cleveland Browns and Jimmy Haslam, which is a whole nother issue. Jimmy. New owner of the Milwaukee Bucks? Right. Dude, you own the Browns and you own the Milwaukee Bucks. It is time to change your name to James. You cannot continue to or go down. Or at least Jim. Right. You can't keep going down Jimmy. Yeah. Jim Jiminy, Jim Jiminy, Jim Jim Drew. Like, come on. Jimmy. That's like, you should graduate to James. Like, at least you have some, because you're not winning anything. Dude, you've never been able to win. 
except your Flying J truck stops. They won, obviously. <laughs> but for crying out loud, it's time. So I digress. But going back to, to Lamar and, and his contract demands, like it is not Lamar's fault that Jimmy set the precedent when it comes to money with Deshaun Watson and that $230 million guaranteed contract. So what he's saying is, dude, if that dude's worth it, now what you're fighting is you're fighting collusion. What? There's collusion in the NFL among owners? Because once, Tell me it ain't so. Once that contract went down, obviously, Come on. obviously the old boys network got together, right? Not like it. No. I mean, there are no, there are no minutes. There were no meeting with minutes or there's no emails or, you know, text messages. But they got together in a closed room without any, uh, you know, you put your cell phones in a basket and uh, you went in that closed room and said, ain't nobody going to sign another one of those deals, right? So you've seen since then Kyler Murray get signed. You saw Russell Wilson get signed. You've seen uh, there's probably another quarterback or two that got maybe uh, – well, you've had Dak Prescott got uh, got paid, and all these quarterbacks, even Josh Allen. Yeah, Josh Allen. Uh, they're, they're all kind of getting money, guaranteed money in that one sixty five. Yeah, about one thirty to one sixty five range. Right. Nobody's coming close to the the two thirty two two thirty five that Deshaun Watson got, right. and i i just don't I just don't think that there is an owner out there that's going to break ranks. And I, I think Steve Bashotti was uh, was critical of. The Deshaun Watson sure. contract. So you think he's going to turn around and give Lamar Jackson one that's bigger than that? Yeah, I just I think what you're fighting is you're fighting an ownership group that just basically says, you know, Jimmy Haslam's out there on his own island, right. and we can't stand that dude, and we'd like to push him out, but he's part of the group, and uh, he did something that was incredibly insane, and we're not going to follow suit. So. That's where they sit right now, but to sit there and intimate that Lamar Jackson would have a contract if only he had an agent, I just think it's foolish. Lamar knows what his value is, and he's saying, pay me this value. And you know what? Frankly, on the, on the flip side of that, the Baltimore Ravens look at Lamar and say, you're not worth it. I mean, that's what they're saying is, hey, we love you. We love you at this number. But from a longevity standpoint, what we do as an offense with you is not sustainable. You've already proven the last two years you've missed time. We've had to pare down the run game. And, you know, frankly, when we're running the snot out of the ball and we're doing all those things and we're getting single high post safety so we know outside you're getting one-on-ones on a consistent basis so we can run the slants, you know, we can run the over routes. We can, like, we know what we're getting. We're good. Like, you can throw those. That, that's great. But we don't believe in you when it comes to when we take that away. Now, they, they've signed a new offensive coordinator, Todd Monken, who's a, you know, how Monken or Monk, Monken, however you say his name. Um, but, you know, no more Greg Roman. So they're trying to transition, I believe, to more of a, a drop-back passing game. But what the Baltimore Ravens are telling, like, I'm not saying, I'm not saying this. The Baltimore Ravens are saying, we don't believe that you can do that on a consistent basis. Therefore, we are not paying you that kind of money. Derek Carr needs an agent because there, there are a lot of teams interested in, yeah. in Derek Carr. He's already met with a, a couple of teams in the Saints and Jets. He's also going to meet with the Panthers, and there's expected to be other teams mm -hmm. that are interested in, in Derek Carr as well. If you had to predict 
Call your shot right now, Mark Schlereth. Where does Derek Carr end up? That's a it's a great Derek's gotta feel like the the girl in high school that has seven prom dates right now, right? Like everybody wants to ask her to the prom. Derek Carr has got a bunch of suitors, and rightfully so. Um God, you know, I think you have to look at situations. You just left the Raiders. You've got Nathaniel Hackett as the offensive coordinator. You've got a guy that I that as a head coach with the Jets, um, Robert Sala, that I absolutely love. But is is how is that situation? Great defense, some young, talented offensive pieces and weapons. Like I think that that. I think the Jets is a lot better situation than I think people probably on the outside give it credit for. Um, Indianapolis. Indianapolis would be a really interesting, like you want to talk about offensive line, pretty put together. Young receiving core, but not like overly established or, or overly talented, but a young receiving core. I think you can build a young tight end over there that uh, – I think his Woods is is a big skilled guy. They got a receiver out there in Pittman that I think has got the potential to be really good. Um, that one would intrigue me a little bit in a AFC th- South that come on is is Houston is is bad. Um, are, you, are you confident saying that Carr? This isn't going to be a guy that's just looking for the bag. No, this no, is no. A guy that yeah. at this point in his career he understands. It's now about establishing some sort of a legacy, right? And, sure. and he wants to go somewhere where he can win. He's not just chasing the buck, right? Right. And it's not only about it's not only about the players around you. It's not only about the roster, and the roster is important. There's no question. But I think philosophically, the coach, like Frank Reich in Carolina, makes a lot of sense. They were they'd be kind of evenly yoked, both. You know, Christian guys, um, their faith is important. Um, like, that would that would be one that I think would appeal to Derek Carr. Smaller market. Mm-hmm. It, NFC South is, come on, like the Saints are, uh, Tampa, what? Atlanta, do you really believe in Ritter? Like, you walk in right now, if Derek Carr walks in in that situation in Carolina, one, he's already the best quarterback in that division, right? Yep. Um, yep. I mean, you got a you got a chance right now to produce. So that one on the surface to me seems to make like a lot of sense. Washington, I know you're always paying attention. To what's going on with your your old team? Mm-hmm. And they've made some changes. Eric Bieniemy in as the offensive coordinator. Carson Wentz is out. Right. His gypsy nomadic like trek around the NFL continues. Who's next up for him? But so Washington, are we looking at Sam Howell? Well, I, last last year, you know, I did a uh, I did a handful of Washington games last year. Probably maybe three or four, maybe even five, more than a handful. Um, as a matter of fact, it was really cool. Uh, Washington, the Commanders, had called up Fox. One of the late games in the season, they were playing the Cleveland Browns, and they were honoring the Hogs. So they called up 
Fox and say, hey, man, could you have Stink come down and do this game? Could We would really like him to do this game. And so, you know, worked out in the schedule, and Fox arranged that, so I'd go out and do that game. And I got honored at the beginning of the game, along with a bunch of the other hogs, you know, Russ Grimm and Joe ba- uh, Jeff Bostick was there, um, uh, Raleigh McKenzie and Ed Simmons and Ray Brown and myself, and it was really cool. It was good. Donnie Warren was there. Mark Rippin showed up. Doug Williams showed up. So it was really cool kind of honoring the hogs. Um, and then – I did the stand-up. You know how you do the the pregame before you know you do. I did it on the field with a stick mic. It was it was cool. And then they shuttled me up in a little cart in the cart. I ran off to the elevator, you know, and went upstairs. And it was it was really it was really a fun thing. But that week it was the last one of the last games of the season, December game. I think probably mid late December game. Um, I ended up talking uh, quite extensively about Sam how and how much they love. Like now, of course, when he looks like the only option you got, everybody falls in love with the dude, right? But you could tell they were off of Carson Wentz was this was a failed experiment. Um, Heineke, who they love, and everybody loves Heineke. He's it's just a ceiling. He's just, just, yeah, it's just he's just, just, just yeah, like he's everybody's favorite backup. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, and so I, I just. Again, that's kind of what they felt like. This kid is super talented. He can really throw the ball. You know, he's smart. He's all these things. So there was that selling point of Howell's going to be – like, that's where we're going. That's going to be our guy. What do they like about him? I just think they have – like, they feel like he has got it. Like, he's got the ability just to let it eat, the ability to throw it with touch – that they like a, a great understanding of of the game. I just think they like all those things about him. Now again, all those things are great when you're running a scout team or you're, you know, that's what frankly that's what Kansas City loved about Mahomes. They would be like, man, he's just tearing. He's a third string quarterback when they drafted him, even though he's a tenth overall pick, and he's just tearing them up in practice. And they got like really excited, like like. Right now, their new offensive coordinator, Matt Nagy, who was there and then went to Chicago, and he was there. He said, hey, man, when we drafted Mahomes, it's like the coaches would run, not not walk, but run to the film room. And before they watched the rest of the film, they would watch Mahomes just cutting up their defense from a scout team. They'd be like, dude, this guy's incredible. And so I'm not calling him Mahomes, but I'm saying he's got some of those qualities that that – jump off the film the way he throws the ball and the way he kind of understands the game. So so in the spirit of this being combine week and you just mentioned the hogs, uh-huh. can you share the story of the, the first question you got asked? Now, you didn't go to oh, the combine. No, I did not get invited to the combine. But you, you did get visited by teams, mm-hmm. and they interviewed you combine style. So can you uh, share yeah. the story of your first experience with Washington, the team that ended up drafting you? So, the, the, so I'm – the first time I show up to my buddy Marvin Washington's workout, I, I would not have played in the National Football League if it wasn't for Marvin Washington. He invited me to all his workouts. And so I would show because I didn't have an agent. I, I mean, I had nothing, right? Um, no agent. I, I had no real interest. I had been injured my whole career. Um, I played one year on the offensive side of the ball. Like, you know, I mean, that was that was it. So Marvin calls me up and invites me in, in Washington, came to work him out. 
And there's a guy by the name of Torgy Torgensen, who was the defensive line coach, and a guy by the name of Billy Devaney, who went on to become a GM in the league for a long time. Billy was the GM for the St. Louis Rams for a long time. They they came to work me out. So or they they were there working out Marvin and, and kind of introduced myself and did that thing. So anyhow, ran ridiculous 40s and vertical jumps and all the stuff that I just complained about, but that's what – you know, got you on the radar. Right, got me yeah. on the radar. Yeah, yeah. They actually worked what me a, out. What a hypocrite. Right, no. What a hypocrite. They actually worked me out <laughs> as a tight end. They had they were throwing balls to me. Like really? Running. Oh, yeah, I was running in And motion. you caught them? Oh, yeah. I, I'm a <laughs> professional athlete. Mike. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, anyhow, that's what they had come back with a report. Um, you know, like, hey, man, this guy could play tight end, blah, blah, blah. And so then they sent out, you know, Billy and, and Joe Bugle came back out to work me out individually on my own. So uh, over, you know, eight, ten workouts with Marvin inviting me to his workout, I had drawn enough interest or created enough buzz that then teams started coming to work me out individually. And so I'm working out for Washington, do the same thing, and their O-line coach, Joe Bugle, legendary O-line coach, is working me out. And so we get done with the workouts, great workout. And he goes, hey, hey, big horse, he used to call you big horse. Oh, big horse, mm, stud, oh, stud. Man, you look good, stud. Mm, mm. You are born to play football, weren't you? Uh, look at you, stud. He goes, let me ask you a question, horse. He goes, horse or stud? Let me ask you a question. He goes, you like to drink beer? And I'm like, uh, you know, how, do you, question? Yeah, how do you answer that? You're like, you know. oh, yeah, I'm a real lush. <laughs> <laughs> you know, me and the boys are always drunk, right? Yeah, but you don't want to go that far, well, right? All, yeah. But you don't want to say, no, I don't drink any beer at all, right? right? You yeah. don't want to. So you're trying to you're trying to figure it out, and so I was like, oh, oh, you know, I mean, the boys have some beers every now and again. Yeah, we we enjoy having tipping a few back, I guess. So, you know, trying. He goes, well, that's good, because you come to Washington, you got to drink a lot of beer with the Hawks. <laughs> <laughs> Those guys love to drink beer, so you're gonna be drinking a lot of beer with them, right? Passed your test, right? I was like, oof, yeah, good, good. <laughs> so yeah, that was the that was the question that I got from from Joe Bugle, like, but. Yeah, all that, you know, all that. I don't know what if you had to ask one question. Yeah, like you, you're the interviewer, and you got to ask one question to a guy. Like, what, what are you gonna ask? Yeah, that's there's some really bizarre questions that that get asked. Although, real quick, put a cap on that because the Marvin Washington story. I, I, you know, you love, I don't know, sports karma or just right. you know the idea that you do the right thing, it'll come back and and it'll benefit you. Marvin Washington was a defensive lineman, mm-hmm. and he invited you to these workouts uh, in, in part so he'd have somebody to go up against, right? Well, he, no, he invited me simply because he knew that I had no interest. Like, he knew that I was a really good football player, but he knew that I had been injured my whole college career. I mean, we're good buddies. Like, mm-hmm. to this day, we're good buddies. So how did you kind of reward you, him? Yeah. The, the Thank cool, him down, yeah, the, the, down coolest, the line. The coolest part of that story, you know, the whole pay it forward aspect. Like, I honestly, had it not been for Marvin Washington, I wouldn't have not played in the NFL. Mm-hmm. There's no question that I would have never played in the NFL if it not for Marvin Washington inviting me to his workouts so I could get on the radar. And then teams started working me out. So fast forward, I'm through year seven, year eight, and we go on to win Super Bowl 32, Green Bay Packers, Denver Broncos, Broncos 34, I don't know what the score would be. 31-24. 31-24, thank you. 
Broncos win 31-24. And um, actually, actually, Super Bowl 32 played on January 25th, 1998, was my 32nd birthday. I'm January 25th born. So I want to – File that away, people. Yeah, Super Bowl 32 on my 32nd birthday. So I'm spending the majority of my time in the offseason where I normally spend the majority of my time in the offseason, which was in the training room laying around with ice on my back or my knee or whatever it was that was bothering me at the time. And Mike Shanahan comes down, and he's got a sheet of paper. And he said, hey, Stink, I need to ask you a question. He goes, we need a guy. We need a guy that can be a rotational defensive lineman for us, a guy that can play DN, a guy that can play you know, defensive tackle, rotational guy, just a piece. You know, he's going to play 13, 20 snaps, tops a game. But we need a guy. And he goes – like, I, I got a list of seven dudes that are free agents. I don't know any of them well. You've played in the league for a long time. You'd know all these guys. He goes, the most important thing is not so much about being a great player, but a guy that would be a great Bronco, a guy that would just fit our locker room. So he goes, he hands me this piece of paper. He goes, tell me who you think. So I get the piece of paper. I look at it and go, sign this guy, Marvin Washington. I go, sign him. So Mike goes, done. Leaves. Walks back up to his office, signs Marvin Washington. And so Marvin got me into the National Football League. Marvin, I would have not played a minute in the National Football League if it not for Marvin Washington. And I got to return the favor by getting Marvin Washington a Super Bowl ring. We won Super Bowl 33 together as teammates, former University of Idaho teammates that won a Super Bowl together as Broncos teammates. You just, you just, I think it's a great story to tell. Here during Combine Week, you just the, the right. background, the backstories of some of these guys who are trying to make it in the NFL and hopefully do make it in the NFL, and and the stories behind it. I think mm-hmm. it's it's kind of cool, and that's that's a, that's a really cool one. It's you know it's one of the things I love just about sports in general is the brotherhood and the bond that you create is a lifelong brotherhood and a lifelong bond of sacrifice for one another. And that's what makes team sports so special, and that's why we love sports. Enjoy your combine, everybody. Yeah, enjoy that. Hey, for everybody involved in the Stinky Truth Podcast, we thank you so much for listening. For Mike, I am Mark. We'll be back with you later on this week.